Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. In this special Cornell Lacrosse episode, Cornell University Press author Christian Sweezy and head coach of the Cornell men's lacrosse team, Connor Busick, share their stories about and their in-depth knowledge of the Cornell lacrosse team, both past and present. Christian Sweezy is the author of the new book, We Showed Baltimore, The Lacrosse Revolution of the 1970s and Richie Moran's Big Red. He is the producer for EWTN News Nightly and has covered lacrosse since 1991, including 20 years with the Washington Post and Inside Lacrosse. Former men's lacrosse great Connor Busick, Cornell Class of 2015, was elevated to the Richard M. Moran head coach of men's lacrosse in the spring of 2020 after spending five seasons on staff first as a volunteer assistant coach for two years, and then as an assistant coach for three seasons. A three-time All-American at Cornell, including consecutive first-team honors over his final two seasons, Busick graduated as the top-scoring midfielder in Big Red history with 155 points. He helped the U.S. to a gold medal at the 2012 FIL U19 World Championships in Finland, played several seasons in Major League Lacrosse, and was a member of the U.S. Men's Lacrosse Indoor National Team that won the bronze medal at the 2019 World Indoor Lacrosse Championship. Uh, Connor, hey, Christian Sweezy, a lacrosse journalist and author of We Showed Baltimore, the Lacrosse Revolution of the 1970s, Richie Moran's Big Red. Obviously, it talks a lot about other programs in lacrosse, but it spent some pretty good time in Ithaca and some of the places where the Cornell plays. Um, so it's great to see you again. It's great to chat. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. And uh, thank you for, I know your schedule is a little bit more busy than mine. So thank you for squeezing us in with recruiting and everything. Um, and sort of speaking of, may I ask you, obviously one of the parts of the book is that my, the rivalry with Maryland, you know, the 71 title game, the 76 title game, which is arguably one of the best games of all time. Um, but maybe we could start with a little bit more recent contest against Maryland, the fall ball scrimmage up in Philly. May I ask how that went? What was your impression of your team and frankly about Maryland? Yeah, uh, always great to get back and, and play them. And, and you know, we've been kind of traveling circus the last few falls. We played on Long Island. We played in Jersey. And in this uh, this fall, we were in Philadelphia. And so um, it was awesome. You know, it's a great litmus test for our team, a great opportunity to play against, uh, you know, a perennial national title favorite and, and get a good sense of what we need to work on and, and uh, how we're stacking up. So uh, fall ball is, is a tough one to, to read too much into the score, but in the tape, there, there's a lot of gold. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that we can pick apart and dissect. And obviously, uh, being out of season and not having a, another opponent to turn around to is great. And so we can really dive in and, and get better from that tape, but um, they are as advertised, you know, Maryland is, is as consistent as it comes and uh, they're skilled and talented and well-coached and, and they play hard. And so uh, it was a good opportunity for our guys to get out there to compete against the best to, to, you know, see how we stack up and, and see what we need to work on. And uh, ultimately now I'll come back out of that. Uh, a lot of things for, for us to improve on and, and a lot of things that, that we're going to spend some time on here as we, wrap up fall ball and, and move into individual sessions i know fall ball at cornell dates from the 40s i think in my book and even places like rutgers had it and yale had it even earlier than that i mean how important is fall ball i know coach moran always said it was a chance for guys to um you know get frankly i think he used it a lot for conditioning i mean what what do you try to take away from fall ball 
Yeah, fall ball is where we're trying to just build the foundation of our culture as much as anything. You know, we we have some restrictions in terms of how much lacrosse we're allowed to play versus you know our non-Ivy peers uh, in Division One, and so there's certainly some different ways we have to go about it. Um, we're not maybe as much and on the field as consistently, um, but there you know there it's not things that uh, you know within that there's a lot that we're still able to do, and so uh, our time with our our strength and conditioning. Uh, coach, you know, Coach Howley is, is you know, it, it's incredible. You know, that guy's a really special part of our program and a guy that builds the culture and, and builds the foundation of who we are. He's been doing it with our program for 30 years. And so uh, that alone, we try to invest as much time with him as we possibly can. You know, him as a teacher, uh, a, you know, instiller of, of our values and our culture uh, is as good as it gets. And so we spend a lot of time with him and, and religiously spend time in the weight room, uh, even at the expense sometimes of time on the field, because again, uh, we just think he helps us build the right way and, and make sure that we're doing things and going about our business the right way and, and creating that mentality. And then ultimately uh, that directly results with uh, how we're, how we look on the field. And so uh, by pairing that, you know, again, a, a simple build on the lacrosse field and building mentality uh, in the strength and conditioning piece. And, and again, pretty, you know, heavily centered on that mentality. Um, you know, we, we build uh, and try to lay the foundation for when we are on the field uh, every day when we get to the spring. One of the things that struck me about talking to Coach Moran, which was obviously the huge, you know, as much as I enjoyed working with Cornell Press and getting to talk to some of the players, you know, it was kind of cool to have Mike French call me back. Like, wow, that's a Hall of Famer who just called me. You know, like that was, it was amazing. But obviously getting to know Coach Moran, but one of the things that really, I felt that he was really ahead of his time on a lot of things. And even in terms of, it was almost a year round sport, even in the seventies, you know, they would do fall conditioning, obviously, and the, they would have one fall scrimmage, usually at Cholkoff Field. And then, you know, starting in February, they would have the work, they would do the mile run inside Teagle Hall. I guess it was eight laps around Teagle Hall for timing. And then they would do, you know, the box lacrosse at the pull over barns. And then they would work out at the bacon cage, you know, and they had to, the defenseman had to navigate the pitcher's mound, you know, but, um, and then they, obviously they were outside as soon as possible. I mean, how much of that, has that changed at all, I guess, from when Coach Moran was there in the 70s to, to now? Uh, a little, you know, few better facilities, you know, <laughs> no longer in the polar <laughs> barns, but uh, we hope to, to carry over a lot of that same mentality. Again, the cool part about Cornell lacrosse mm -hmm. is that the, the culture and, and the way it's been built and that blueprint for success here hasn't changed much over the last 50 years. You know, very much the family, uh, culture that coach Moran built and in the heart and the, you know, that blue collar mentality that he instilled here all those years ago continues to be the kind of the guiding light for, for us and our staff and how we want to build this thing. Um, we've seen it a lot over the years and, and, uh, seen the success that it's had. And so for us, we're just trying to make it the best version of that, that we can. And, and again, there's, there's a lot of good pieces there that coach Moran left for us and, and coaches over the years that have, uh, again, updated it and modernized it maybe a little bit, but still with the same mentality and ethos. And so, um, that that's our goal is to, is to build it much the same and, and use a lot of the, the groundwork that they've laid for us to continue to build, you know, the tradition and the foundation of Cornell cross. One of the things that struck me and impressed me about the, um, researching the book and talking to some of the people, you know, Coach Bilderback at Navy, who won eight national titles in 11 years in the 60s and early 70s, uh, his theory was always the team with the best athletes is going to win 95% of lacrosse games. Do you think that is still true? 
I think you got, you need the athletes, but I think you need talent too. I think this game today is so skilled. And, and so I I'd say it's certainly, you know, the team with the the better Jimmy's and Joe's are probably going to win 95% of the time. But uh, a lot of that comes down to both the athletic acumen and the lacrosse skill and IQ. And, and I think when you start to mesh those things, uh, you start to see programs that are pretty successful year in and year out. One of the other things that really struck me was, you know, Richie would talk about the fall and, you know, even when the teams in the mid seventies, when they went on that huge winning streak that included fall scrimmages, but, you know, Dan McAsee, the starting goalie was playing soccer and, you know, McEnany played two years of varsity football and Marino played a year of varsity football and Henriksen, I think played three years of varsity football. Is that something that could even happen today? A two sport athlete at that level you're coaching? I, I think it can still happen for the one-off and in the individual, but I think, you know, the out of season has, has become such a big part of what we do and everything that we do, especially at this level is a year round endeavor and building in the fall and setting the basis of your culture. Like we've talked about doing the strength and conditioning and, and the off season work that, that comes with that uh, and, and getting into season, it just, you know, it, it's become so tough and grueling on the body that it's tough a to be in season for, for an entire year, uh, but B to not have the strength and conditioning work and not be getting bigger, stronger, faster, uh, improving at your craft that way also uh, is, is at times a detriment. And certainly there's some superb athletes out there and there you see guys that, you know, play football or soccer in the fall and then are able to, to pick up the stick and, and be that level of athlete and competitor to, to be successful in the spring. But uh, I, it certainly doesn't happen as much. And certainly for entire teams, uh, I think the way that the out of season is handled and, and the importance that goes on that strength and conditioning segment in the fall uh, is, is significant. And so I think that's been the biggest change is, is we're utilizing that time, not just to play hoops, not just to stay in shape, but to actually take that next step physically, you know, to add weight, to add muscle, uh, and be ready for, you know, what's a pretty grueling season once you get to the spring. And that's interesting. You said about playing hoops because that was one of the things that Glenn Mueller told me, Lake Glenn Mueller, I was very fortunate. He made time for me when I was in Ithaca in 2019. And one of the things he said, and Mike French remember this, you know, French came on his official visit and Saturday morning, you know, Mueller woke up and said, hey, let's go play basketball because that's how we learned Richie's motion offense. I think he called it circulation. So that is something you still do. Yeah, yeah, I would say we don't do it quite as frequently, but you, you've heard from a lot of those guys, and, and you mentioned Glennon, who obviously was a fantastic hoops player, but, you know, guys like Timmy Goldstein in, in that era, that's what they talked about about a lot is that they played a lot of hoops in the in the offseason again just a good cardio workout good way to go compete and something a little different and maybe not beat up the same way you would be on the field but uh certainly a, a piece of what we do but it, you know a lot more focus on uh the strength and conditioning side and the science that goes into to building those guys through that 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 platform is there a sense that there's like folklore about those teams. I mean, when I, and again, my visits to Ithaca were limited by the pandemic. I was up there twice and would have come a lot more. But, you know, for instance, when I found myself walking around and saying, oh, is that the SAE house or McEnany lived as a freshman or, you know, is that the house where McEnany and Gary Malm shared off 79? I mean, is there any sense of that, you know, any sense of, oh, that was uh, Glenn Mueller's fraternity or Bob Rule's fraternity? Is there any of that? I think there's a lot of that. And I think that that's just kind of the type of program and tradition that's been set at a place like Cornell. You know, I, I think this place, uh, you know, is, is incredibly steeped in tradition and, and it's up to us to kind of uphold that standard in that tradition. And so um, I think certainly the relationships that 
fact that it's not, you know, you know, these guys that are legends are, are still very active and, and very, uh, you know, available. You know, we see Frenchie at, at every event. You see Goldstein at, at every event. And, and so you go on and on down that line. And, and as you get later and later, you know, we had the 71 national championship team back to, to celebrate the 50th anniversary uh, last year, I guess, you know, 18 months now. So um, for all those things, it's, it's pretty cool for us. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to get to know those guys. And so obviously there's they're some folklore, but they're very real. You know, they're, they're guys that are continuing to pay it forward to the new generation of Cordell lacrosse and make sure that these guys are successful in every way uh, and making sure that they understand um, maybe what made them successful then and, and what are the important pieces that we got to make sure that that we continue to to make a a centerpiece of Cornell lacrosse uh, as time passes. And just a word, I know Mike French lives in Philly. You know, that's not like he's not like he's in Ithaca and just takes five minutes to get there. Um, I don't know where Goldstein lives, maybe Long Island, but I, that's very impressive that they would be not distance very close and it's still very much a part of the program. Yeah. Yeah. Goldstein is in Philly too. And again, it, wow. it's those guys that all over the place that, that make it back and, you know, just having alumni weekend a few weeks ago uh, and another incredible turnout. And so lucky to have so many uh, people willing to make that trip back and, and make the time in their schedules to, to get back and meet the, the current guys to see old friends and, and to, to honor that tradition. So when Eamon came up for his recruiting trip, he was a week early and it was December and it was freezing and uh, he called, Coach Moran at home from the phone phone booth and was outside, I guess, Teagle Hall. <laughs> How would you have reacted? Coach Moran rounded up a couple of guys from SAE to, you know, take them to a hockey game and to dinner at the Statler. And, and I think he, you know, took them on a recruiting walk around the campus the next morning. What would you have done there? Uh, I would like to think that I would have been as proactive as coach there and, and been able to manage the situation, get up to campus to get them some some guys to hang out with some things to do. Um, but, you know, we know coach uh, coach thought on his toes. He, he was always ready for that curveball and, and always managed it well. And so uh, I'd like to say I'd take a page out of his book and, and have him uh, make sure that that we got that guy to, to stay at Cornell and, and be excited about it. Um, but you know, certainly just getting, you know, we talk about it still on recruiting visits today and, and planned or unplanned. Uh, the, the best part about this place is the people. And so just finding ways to, to get them out with our guys, spend time with our players uh, and feel that sense of family and camaraderie and, and togetherness uh, is probably the takeaway that we hope any recruit leaves here with. And I know Richie was a huge fan of, and proponent of recruiting in person. He liked to see people that to talk to the guidance counselor, talk to the parents, talk to the coach. How much of recruiting and, and even during the pandemic, it probably wasn't even, uh, you weren't even able to, but how much of 2022 recruiting is in person and looking someone in the eye and talking to their parents face to face? A lot of it is, and, and just like you, you mentioned with, with Coach and, and talking to everybody just around a person, right? Getting multiple viewpoints and, and everybody around them to, to kind of speak to the character of the, the individual. Um, that's 90% of our recruiting. We, we talk about it a lot that we're recruiting people. You know, the lacrosse piece helps us pick up the phone and start making those connections. And then from there, it's, it's all the things that we hear from all the people that spend a lot of time around these, these young men and uh, the type of families they come from. And so uh, for us, we're, we're looking for character fits as much as anything. And, and if the character fits overlaps with the lacrosse piece and the athleticism, uh, that, that's a home run for us. And so, uh, you know, for us, there, there's good fits and there's good fits for Cornell and, and we're looking for the good fits for Cornell. I know Coach Moran talked a lot and Coach Waldvogel too, his longtime assistant, talked a lot about that bulletin board outside the locker room. They said it was like the Bible, you know, and 
practice plans were there. And the only statistic that we'd keep up there were ground balls. You know, the goal assists were kept in the Ithaca Journal or by sports information, but ground balls from one of the professors was the only stat you could find on that bulletin board. Is that still, I mean, is there still a bulletin board or is there still, I mean, now in the internet age, maybe there isn't, but is there something like that still? Yeah, I, I think for us, you know, the, the biggest statistic that we keep is, is something that we call 21s. And, and again, kind of, you know, rooted in, in the legacy that George Boyardi's left us and, and those tough plays, those effort plays, those plays that maybe are unsung by most. You know, we're trying to stat those and find ways to, to give a number to how hard our guys are playing. And so um, although there's there's maybe no. Uh, no, no cork board anymore that, that, you know, we hang the stats on. Uh, certainly there's, there's things that have lasted because of the way Cornell plays lacrosse and, and the version that we want to put on the field. Did you get to beat Eamon McEnany? I did not know, unfortunately. You, uh, how about, I mean, obviously you knew Coach Moran. What was your take when you first met Coach and what was it like getting to know him over the years? Yeah, the first time I met him, a bigger than life personality. You know, that guy was the mayor in Ithaca and, and knew everybody and, and, you know, knew everybody's family and, and knew what made them tick. And so he was a, a special human being because he cared so much. You know, he the thing that we talked about since his passing and, and the thing that we as a Cornell lacrosse community have to pick up the slack now is, is he was always around. He was always available. He was always checking in, uh, but he showed up. He showed up to everything. He showed up to alumni weekend. He showed up to everybody's Hall of Fame inductions. He showed up to everybody's, you know, life-changing events, you know, whether it's weddings or funerals or, or you name it, he was always the omnipresent figure. Uh, and he always had that Cornell lacrosse hat on. And so uh, it's certainly a piece of it that we're going to have to pick up, but that, that larger than life personality, that uh, immense care for everybody he came into contact with are all things that certainly we've taken from, from coach and, and try to, you know, make our own and, and certainly uh, focus on as, you know, while still doing it in a way that is authentic to ourselves. I know he always much it meant, for him to talk to the current team on September 11th every year, the anniversary of Eamon's death. May I ask, you know, since they, um, coach passed away, like, may I ask what this September 11th was like this past call? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we spent some time with the team out, you know, looking at the plaques and that we remember that, you know, on top of, you know, Eamon passing, now we're, we're missing coach Moran. And, and that was always something that he loved to do and, and took a lot of pride in that conversation and, and speaking to our guys. And uh, again, just, just voicing his gratitude for his time at Cornell, for his Cornell family and, and for uh, you know, the people that passed and, 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 you know, remembering those guys and, and keeping them in mind. And obviously on that day, you know, a somber day, uh, making sure that it's top of mind. And so um we certainly missed having him there and, and the ability to speak to our guys, but certainly we didn't miss the opportunity to, to remember coach and, and, you know, the way that he, he would have liked us to, to remember uh, Eamon and, and all those lost on September 11th. I was at one of the events for Eamon a couple, again, pre-COVID, it was 2019 up in Ithaca. And somebody broke out like a little highlight film of some of Eamon's big plays. You know, there's a lot from the 76 title game in particular. I mean, you've seen film on those guys. What was your takeaway on, especially the 76 team, but maybe all those point out teams in the seventies. Do you have a takeaway on them? Yeah, I think the, the most interesting part, right. And, and, you know, we've got a couple of those clips on an Eamon tape that we watch rather frequently within Cornell lacrosse, you know, that, that trio at attack, just so prolific and, and so, you know, um, willing to, to sacrifice for the team. But, you know, the, there's that iconic, you know, image of, uh, of, you know, aiming to, to French there when he was ahead of the play and, and just that, that self 
business and, and the way those guys were on the same page and, and the way that they, you know, truly dominated there over the course of multiple years uh, was pretty special. And in a time in Cornell lacrosse that, that will always try to um, try to, you know, reach you know that that's that's the hope obviously I don't know if we're going to win 42 games in, in a row and in, in today's day and age certainly that that's the goal but uh that that's the tradition and that's the the standard that this program set over the years and and obviously to have uh, a team that was so successful on such a big stage and, and did it with a lot of guys that um just worked hard came together coach put you know found guys on campus and, and it was giving them sticks and, and those guys returned to all Americans at times um pretty special. And again, you know, they, they've started that uh, tradition. Obviously there's groups in the sixties and, and, and Bruce Cohen and, and Cohen, and, and they started the party, but uh, certainly um, the things that they did in the seventies to set the trajectory for Cornell lacrosse for years to come uh, will, will not be forgotten. So Eamon would have gotten a 21 for passing I, up that goal. To I would say so. I would say so. That's awesome. Another thing, like Mike Waldvogel said, and a few of the defensive guys who said it as well, that Waldvogel always said it's three mistakes that lead to a goal. The third mistake being the goalie probably should have made a save. Is that still accurate? Uh, I don't know if that's always accurate anymore. I'd say uh, the the skill of this game and the technology of this game is progressing. That sometimes it can be one mistake and it, and it leads to a goal. Um, it's it's not so always so tic tac toe, but uh, certainly you know I th I think the theory still holds that at any point you could probably find a way to to check all three boxes there along the way. And one of the guys, Frank Muleman, talked a lot about their man down and especially in the seventy six title game, the man down rotation and. It, do you ever, you know, have you ever asked those guys like, well, how, how was your man Dan so good? Or what were you doing in that game, in that 76 title game to shut down Maryland's outside shooters? Is that, has that ever been a conversation or has anyone ever approached you and said, Hey, this worked for us? Uh, I don't know if it's really ever been a conversation outside of coach Moran. Coach Moran would certainly, you know, <laughs> offer some of those tidbits here and there and uh, walk some of our guys through it or, or give some of his tricks of the trade that, that they used and, and things that he felt would help individuals. Um, and so it was cool, you know, for, for, you know, as long as I've been on the coaching side, you know, I've gotten little tips from coach Moran here and there. And uh, certainly he's, he does this, the rest of our staff and in our individual players. And so obviously to have a legend of the game and a guy that was so successful at his craft around just as a sounding board and, to hear how they did it, um, it, it certainly gave us a lot of confidence and, and certainly allowed us, maybe even if it wasn't exactly what they did, but finding some way or the thought process in which they got to, to how they were going about it uh, has always been a very cool experience and a cool part of having Coach Moran so present. May I guess that the in the 70s, it is still today that the bus ride to Dartmouth is not much fun? Correct. I know the guys didn't like it very much. <laughs> that one hasn't changed, unfortunately, over the years. <laughs> But I mean, you know, the bus ride, it was some guys doing homework and most of the guys just kind of, you know, getting to know each other and playing cards. And, and I forget there was one card game that they would always play in the back of the bus. And it was like a season long. You know, they would keep stats for the entire season. Is there a sense of that? Or is it more just guys on their phone now? Or, or what is a bus ride like? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's really breaking out the cards anymore. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, with that being said, I, I do think it's, it's bonding time. You know, some guys, you know, have some work to do and, and we'll be doing that. But for the most time, it's, it's downtime. It's, it's the end of the week where, you know, the preparation's done. Um, now we're, we're trying to travel right and make sure our heads are right and make sure we're, we're showing up and, and ready to uh, compete at the highest level. But uh, by Friday afternoon, we usually already done our walkthrough by the time we got on the bus. And so uh, it's some downtime and, and some well-earned downtime for those guys as we ramp it up for saturday afternoon but um you know we, we watch movies guys hang out on their phones but guys you know most of all enjoy each other's company and, and just the ability to to bond uh, on those long bus rides one of the things that really impressed me connor was the guys and i would say wow like that long on a bus trip in march like it must have been terrible I said oh no they you know that was actually one of the better memories for a lot of those guys especially the early 70s guys as you mentioned the bonding and the cards and apparently some of the smaller guys would sleep like where you're supposed to put the luggage i don't know it, it sounded kind of fun that's incredible yeah again those i i think you know it's it's that age-old adage that that you won't remember the games necessarily but remember the times in the locker room and those down times and those funny moments and, and certainly uh those long bus rides there's something about them that uh are memorable and, and enjoyable and, and certainly after after wins the bus ride homes are are always fun so um you know plenty of memories from from my playing career on the bus and, and plenty going forward as, as I continue to to get to spend time with these guys and, and be on the bus with uh pretty special times come from from some of the uh the longest most monotonous bus rides <laughs> What is Sholkov like? What is it like to play in Sholkov? There is so much history in that stadium that I have to admit, I wasn't all that aware of before I started working on the book. What is it like to play there? It's a really special place. You know, I, we love the the setup of it and the, the history of it. And obviously uh, it's unique. It's not like any other stadium in the country. And so for us, uh, it's hope, you know, and, and, and so every time we get the opportunity, I've there's there's just the history of Sholkoff Field in, in the Crescent, but also for Cornell Lacrosse specifically, right? There, there's the history of George Boyorty and in, in, in passing away on the field and, and um, some of the significance that that's taken on as George's house. And so uh, for us, you know, protecting our, our home field and, and making sure that we are honoring uh, that tradition by the way that we play and the effort that we give every day is is an important piece of Cornell Lacrosse and, and something that we, we don't take lightly. And so... Um, you know, again, everybody's got their home field that they want to protect, but I think the combination of that tradition and that history that you, you mentioned and, and George's house certainly makes it, uh, it takes on an added level of importance for every guy that, that has the opportunity to wear the Cornell jersey. Have you thought about what it will be like taking the field for your home opener and Richie won't be in the press box, you know, hopefully it would still be there, but Richie won't be there. Have you thought about that? I haven't uh, a whole lot, but certainly, you know, even though he won't be there, you know, in, in person, he certainly will be there in spirit. And, and we know, you know, Richie has our backs and, and you know, guided us through that uh, that tournament appearance last year and, and through that tournament run. And, and we know that the next time we get out on Shulkoff Field that, that he'll be with us as well. That was Cornell University Press author Christian Sweezy and head coach of the Cornell men's lacrosse team, Connor Busick. If you'd like to purchase Christian's new book, We Showed Baltimore, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. <laughs>